So here we are about to record another episode of the Broadcast Podcast. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm actually extremely well right now because I've had some coffee, one, (laughs) thank you, Mike, and two, we're having somebody on that I've been wanting to have on the show for a really long time, and her name is Sarika Golatia, and she's an installation artist and sculptor based here in Pittsburgh, and I got introduced to your work a few years ago, and I found it really interesting, the medium that you chose to work in and the types of materials that you choose to work with, because I don't know if people would necessarily associate women with the type of work that you do, which I find really interesting. I was wondering if you could tell people a little bit about your work. Right. So I don't really work with a particular medium. Mm-hmm. I just choose the medium based on what I'm trying to show. Mm-hmm. So it totally varies from project to project and from what I'm trying to portray. And I think the one that you're referring to was at the Carnegie Museum of Art. Yes. And uh, there were sculptures that were done in plaster cast. Yes. And it had coke on mm-hmm. the uh, ground. And those were done as a residency at Alloy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very interesting because we, when we were doing the residency, we had two steel workers come and talk to us. And it was interesting because from whatever I heard of Pittsburgh and how it was, you would think that nobody, like nobody ever romanticized that period. Mm -hmm. But listening to both of these guys, it seemed like that was like the most like glorified time in their life like and it meant a lot because every day I think they were fighting for their life because they didn't know what could happen because a lot of accidents happened there Mm -hmm. and they spoke about like different things that happened at the furnace where they would put their raw fish and it would get cooked so I kind of photo documented everything and then I was fortunate enough to go back and I did plaster casts of those uh, spaces and then kind of came back to my studio and worked on it, made it into sculptural forms. So it uh, that particular one just evolved out of that narrative. And I was like, and then it, I think then the work kind of dictates itself. I feel like sculpture is like performance in mm. some ways, because you have a concept and then you kind of write it like a play. And then when you stage it, then it's a different, whole different game. It goes into a production mode and then it's staged and then it's that final iteration where it's it's there for the audience to see and gauge what, whatever they feel looking at it. How did you get into art at this level and what made you want to be an artist? Or do you feel like people are, you're just born an artist? Uh, I don't know if I was born an artist. Mm-hmm. I always wanted and I had an affinity always to gra- like gravitate towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think growing up in India, my parents didn't have the funds uh, to put me because art is a luxury in a lot of ways. We, and I think it's changed a lot. Like our kids do everything because everything is easily available. Mm-hmm. And at that point for my family, it was a luxury. So even though I wanted to do these studio classes, it was always like on the edge. But uh, at the same time, my parents were very open with whatever I wanted to do. So I actually went on to doing textiles. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was, um, so I worked in the rural sector of India. And I used to travel to these villages and live with people there and share their bathrooms, which was the toughest thing, I think, for me. (laughs) That's Uh, fair. It was like like a tough life, but I think it's the most gratifying period of my life because Mm -hmm. you really saw like raw maybe poverty but at the same time happiness Mm -hmm. and uh, and you were there to make a difference in somebody's life because of what 
options you proposed for them to do in terms of their designing or their workmanship or whatever and then the then it would take on its own life but i think it was like a very very it was like a life changing moment for me because also living away from a comfort zone to go and live in these villages where some of the places don't have electricity or light it, it like just just makes you realize what kind of a privileged life you led or lead mm-hmm. and and also it was like interesting because whenever i came back home um i took at least a week to adjust back to that fast paced life that i was used to because it was so different and uh, so i did that and then um, i think after i uh, had the opportunity to do an apprenticeship uh, apprenticeship in england with a master weaver who was an installation artist and he uh, had uh, developed this technique where you could instead of weaving straight you could change it and do it three dimensionally and i kind of was very fascinated when he came and spoke about it uh, at the school that i went to school uh, where i met him and i really like was fascinated by that and i went back to him and emailed him and said i would love to come and you know have the opportunity to train under you if you want so i went there and i have to admit he gave me a rod and he said just saw it and i had never used a saw in my <laughs> life because in india if you want a painting hung you have somebody come in to hang that put that nail nobody people are not very handy because there are so many people available and uh, there are billions of people so you have everybody gets a job like that right so it's a very very hmm. different culture from doing it yourself so that was uh, i think when i was sawing he just came down and told me that doesn't sound right <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first experience i can say with power tools as such and uh, and i did that and when i went back i knew i was not ready to go back to the villages again it was a hard uh, and i decided to kind of go just the other extreme and i entered like uh the export market and i became um, so i was like a fashion forecaster and oh, wow. i worked yeah it's a very it was amazing because like uh, i did that for a couple of years and i loved it it was high paced you were already in 2013 deciding what you want to do to for 2017 spring like it was like so quick mm. and it it had a different energy and it was like and i traveled a lot to all parts of the world but a lot to new york and i loved it and i think that started kind of like that was my pulse like i got my energy from there hmm. and uh, one of these trips i met my husband in new york and i decided to i was like i'm ready to move to pittsburgh without like even thinking without visiting this place i was like yeah it's fine i'll, like, I'll do it i'll do it like it's <laughs> like you know i'll find a job there and i came here and i hated it for the lack of a better word <laughs> why did like, you hate it because i came from uh, delhi is like like yeah. it's a big city yeah it's huge city. you are always surrounded with people uh-huh. you know there's the community sure. feel you are never isolated and uh, and when i moved here it was very quiet Nine, mm. this is many years ago this is like 15 years ago okay and people would go off to sleep at 9:30 10 like it was like sure. dead by then mm-hmm. and i was like uh, i was used to like a very hard ha- like a very fast paced life mm-hmm. i wouldn't come home till 11 8 o'clock was back to work and it was the fashion industry so it was like i think my life was very much like the devil wears prada in some aspect <laughs> because i think that movie really connected with a lot of us who worked at that at uh-huh. time in that sector and um, and this was very different and uh, you suddenly had a lot of time to yourself 
So I decided to take a job in New York and uh, I did the back and forth and we were a weekend couple and I hated the job uh, because it wasn't as hands-on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, this is pointless. I was, you know, I can't deal with it. Because it's very different when you stay in New York and you're working in a yes. in that yeah. environment versus you being like in uh, in between two spaces. Right. And just up for your marriage too, I would think that would be right. challenging. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think I used to come here on Thursday and sleep till Sunday and go back <laughs> because uh, yeah. so it was it was like a it was a fun uh, experience. I did it for three months. Okay. And uh, my husband's a physician. So every weekend that he was off, I was traveling. So it was like it was this bizarre situation. And when I moved here, I think by then he knew that I'm not going to, I'm not the kind of person who can sit still. Mm-hmm. So, so he's like, hey, do you want to go back to school? And I was like, the obvious thing would be to do an MBA. But I'm like, I've always wanted to do art, like, you know. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, just follow it and follow your passion. And by then the applications were already done. I called CMU. They said, oh, we are undergrad is still open and we'll take your application if you give it within a week. And and I'm like, it's undergrad. I don't think it makes sense. And my uh, and he Amit like was like, just do it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to do it. It's application is an experience. Mm-hmm. So he gave me these like baby pushes. Yeah. And I am really grateful for that because mm-hmm. I kept going to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. And I uh, and when I got the fat letter, which was I didn't even know what the fat letter was. And <laughs> but when I got it, I was like, I was like, should I do it? He's like, oh, just pay the 500 bucks and then you can decide. And then it was like, just pay the first semester and then you can decide. <laughs> and uh, you know it. just yeah. get a degree and then you can yeah. decide. Right. <laughs> but once you enter there, it's a different space. Like, yeah. so it took me a little bit, but everybody was in some ways it was great because you enter with the undergrads. Everybody is uncertain. Yeah, right. And I was uncer- I was like much older and much more experienced with a master's and work experience. And I'm like back in that undergrad mm-hmm. world. And wow. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but I think it was the best thing I ever did mm-hmm. uh, because I did it in two years, uh, mm-hmm. my BFA. But I had nothing. I was never cornered into choosing uh, like fine tuning that you. this is it. This is your medium and this is what you decide. Right. I could experiment because I had that freedom. And at the same time, I was I was there not to party because I'd already done all of that. <laughs> I was just it. there to work. Yeah. So I was like a very committed uh, student and um, um, almost on the verge of being crazy. Like that's how I'm described by some of my faculty still. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that was the best thing. And I really am like thrilled and I'm like... I give a lot of value to what I got from Carnegie Mellon mm-hmm. because A, the teaching style here is very different. Mm. Uh, you can argue with a teacher. You cannot in India. If they say it's night, you just look and say, I can see that, like <laughs> almost like to that sure. extent. Yeah. So it's a very, very different here. You are taught to argue with an adult. They are your equals. So it was a very fascinating mm. period of my life. Sounds and like all these experiences have really influenced your work too, having this sort of global perspective. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think also when you come from a, uh, like, so for every, like the power tools, for example, I wouldn't be like, what is a drill? Mm -hmm. And then I discovered the drill and I was like, and for me, it ceases to be a tool. It just becomes another paintbrush. Oh, interesting. And uh, when I go to Home Depot or Lowe's, everything there is a fascinating object because I do not relate it to how it's, 
Mm-hmm. You know, for example, the Pittsburgh glass bo- blocks, everybody looks at it and they're like, ugh, the glass blocks. But for me, it's like, wow, that is a fascinating object. It could be an ice cube. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you just like look at it from a very fresh perspective. And I think that kind of like uh, has pretty much influenced a lot of my work. How do you think if you had done your undergrad as a more traditional undergrad, you're a little bit younger, how would that experience have been different? Do you think it would have been... I mean, obviously it would have been different, but would it have informed your work differently? Would you have ha- felt this freedom to choose whatever medium, do you think? Um, I am not sure about that, but yes, the difference would have been that you make, I think, deeper relationship with your peers mm-hmm. because you're yeah. there with them, right. you party with them. Yeah. Here, I was always the outsider mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. I was older. Yeah. I was in my 30s. <laughs> I was 32. Yeah. And uh, But at the same time, it was great because I had this great bond with them. Uh, almost maternal but not quite and I made some really really good friends there but I think in terms of work I think it uh, I think the confidence that you have when you're older Mm -hmm. you don't care (laughs) like you're not pleasing anybody you're pleasing yourself Uh, and I think the hardest person to compete with is yourself because you know what you're capable of right and you have this vision for what you want it to be and if you're not meeting your own expectations that's always the hardest part right right? but the the interesting also other aspect was that you could see the bullshitters yes (laughs) yes and it's like uh, I did so much work and I'm like I don't see like so I would like call out on them and which was maybe not good but uh, but sometimes that is good though sometimes people need to be called out for sure So. so do you think um, Pittsburgh is, uh, as far as the artist community here and your experience with it, do you think it's welcoming? Do you think it's, to my impression of it, it's fairly fractured, that there's not a really good hub necessarily, that resources as an artist, you have to sort of find them yourself. There's, they're not right. coming to you. What's compared to other cities that you've worked in maybe? how would you rate Pittsburgh as far as how it supports its local artists? So uh, after I graduated from CMU, I felt that there was no structure. Mm -hmm. Like it was like you're left on your own. And most of the people who I had left, there were very few students like who I was with and friends who really remained in Pittsburgh. And, um, and I think the honest truth is that most people go into art because they don't want to, go into marketing mm-hmm. or they don't want to write or they don't they want don't to want do to be around other people <laughs> right and but unfortunately you have to be yes. a business person yeah. because even though it's not a business you have to network yeah. you have to be seen at events Promote you have yourself. to you have, and i think it's not even networking so much as you support your it's a communal thing right yeah you support your community your community supports you yeah kind of and uh, it's like a give and take in that aspect right. but i think it has really changed and transformed in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the pivotal moment was getting a studio space outside of my house. Yeah, And the, I had to get it because my work is too large. And I think I was like taking over every space and I couldn't even. <laughs> so I was like told, room. I was like actually like literally kicked out of the house. <laughs> and I think that also made, like it gave me the possibility to do larger work because you are in a, in a space where you can create a mess. You're not, tracking the mess back into your space into your living space Mm -hmm. so I think it just opened up a whole other uh, kind of possibilities for me but I think um, yes it's a very insular space so there are different pockets of artists and I think um, so I am uh, on a couple of uh, committees and boards now and my whole idea is to kind of bridge that like I'm working towards that it needs to be a coherent community Mm -hmm. where 
because not everybody cannot compete for the same thing because we all work differently right and we all don't fit the same space sure. so i think it would be helpful if we all work together to make it much like to give each other that support structure yeah yeah and uh, it's been pretty phenomenal i think in the last couple of years mm-hmm. um to be a part of that uh community yeah so speaking of your work what have you been focused on currently so a lot of my old work came from personal narratives mm-hmm. and uh, i lost my dad when i was 19 mm-hmm. and he passed away out of lou gehrig's mm, so right. i think that uh, really impacted like i think that was one of the things the other thing was this cultural shift of moving uh from a from one country to another mm-hmm. from one continent to another and uh and so i did a lot of work with within that like people would look up uh, come walk up to me and say oh we know you you are so and so and i'm like i'm sorry i've never met you <laughs> and and i did a whole piece on that because i'm like when you don't know a culture everybody mm. you paint them with the same brush yeah. and i think that work kind of is very um it's like very relevant today because that's what we are doing yeah uh in the current political situation right so i think over the period of time from the narrative after the election and during the election i think it i was anyway going more political in mm-hmm. some ways i did a project called prosecutrix which is a, a a project based on sexual assault so i was collecting these shoe boxes and um and i did an installation and i felt the installation was very empty because it had no meaning it was visually very uh pleasing but where was it going and then i started like doing research on what shoe boxes mean to people and it was interesting because people came up with oh if it's a good brand i keep it if it's not i dispense it i keep my secrets i throw it so i kind of used that double um uh, intention of a shoe box and also so i titled it prosecutrix because here uh, it's spelt with a t e r i x and that in india is uh, means the victim but here it refers to the lawyer mm-hmm. so it's a interesting uh, kind of take on that too yeah. and i kind of started uh, as in like i sent out a social media thing and asked people that if you have stories that you want to share i would really like and you know your identity is going to be hidden but the whole idea of the project was to bring this uh, into the forefront and um, i replaced the labels in the shoe boxes with the random sketch of a person um or a child and there's a quote from a victim who was assaulted and a reply quote from somebody who blames them mm-hmm. so and there's a qr code that leads to an actual story wow. so it was very powerful and it was also very disturbing because i got 28 stories some of them i found online uh to kind of uh get the momentum going for it and uh, they are hard to read because i was editing out names where i felt they were not necessary and then i scanned them and they are like on my website mm-hmm. and uh, i got an opportunity at carlo to work as a resident artist and do the same project mm-hmm. there uh, so i'm going to be doing it in uh, starting november 15th till mm-hmm. december 15th and uh, and i'm hoping because that's the time when a lot of freshmen come in yeah. Uh, so that project kind of like it was great i did a small iteration of it and i even though i don't want it to grow because i don't want the story yeah. but i want people to tell their stories because a lot of people walked up to me and said this happened to me yeah. when i was and they are older women mm-hmm. 
but the people who really like engaged with it were college students like they were like they read every story probably they're like can we open the boxes and they were there and i thought that is what i want people to do to engage with it and to get get that awareness yeah. and uh, a friend of mine commented that oh i don't i like it but i don't like that you have sketches of kids on it and i was like do you know the percentage of kids that are assaulted mm -hmm. and i'm like we don't want to talk about it right it's right. like push it under the rug right. and it's all gone and it looks like a clean society but like yeah. we need to talk about issues like that right. Right. and uh, also like i think um there are a lot of like like i am like it's a sketch pad of ideas yeah. <laughs> that yeah. i'm dealing with right now but i am in a show which is uh, i don't know if you guys know kc drogi she has a great space downtown and she runs the 6 by 8 oh okay and she might be somebody you want to bring up here yeah. okay and uh, so she has like so she, there's a curated show and uh, it's curated by vicky clark Mm. and uh, it's called may you live in interesting time mm -hmm. but it's an amazing space as an artist because you have a lot of raw material to work with <laughs> um and it just keeps coming every day yeah. uh so you have to kind of distance yourself from that too yeah but so i'm working on a lot of other issues like uh, issues of so i grew up where i was treated more than a equal than my brother so i did not have this concept even though india is like a country where women are supposed to be subservient but mm -hmm. it, i think it depends from families to families sure. and maybe as a kid you don't even see the global impact of it because you are just concerned with yourself you're yeah. so in your own body and mind and in your own space and i think it was interesting because when i came here and i said oh i'm looking for a space in new york and blah 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 I, and I, a real estate agent was helping us find an apartment for uh, amit and i and she's like Oh and your husband is okay with it and I am like and why would he not be okay with it and why would I even ask him right. like you know it's a mutual yes. decision we right. made but I'm not taking permission right it's a decision right it's yeah, like right. you make a decision together and maybe that was my first so I'm like I'm like wow I'm in the United States of America mm -hmm. it's like supposed to be the most developed country in the sure. world yeah. and it's a world leader and here we are talking about like female rights like yeah. what yeah and i was actually like i don't know if she said it because i am indian and she was Assumed responding to you. that yeah. or she genuinely meant it because she was in my opinion like she just thought like that yeah but yeah. being a mom i can tell you it's a challenge because i am like I judging imagine. myself every day yes. because oh, yeah. so because if you want yeah. to be ambitious mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you have to kind of and and i have a very supportive spouse mm -hmm. and i'm very fortunate and like we kind of like uh, for the last couple of years have been like he comes home i leave yeah. and uh, and my kids are now of that age where i feel they need you not him not me but both of us yeah and and it's a battle like uh, when mm -hmm. you have a family it's a battle you cannot just walk out of the door and say it's okay i'm just going right. to right it's it's gone right so i'm like you know and maybe i was romanticizing as a child maybe the reality is different mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like that whole dealing with that whole aspect of uh, being a woman yes and how and, much of yourself you give to each part of your life like whether right. to your children and to your career or to the things right. that make you happy and so you know, for the most part my thing is very clean cut i am like when they are in school i am out mm -hmm. and when they come home i used to bring back home like some of the things i can work on home and i would bring that back but i think this year i made the resolution 
that when I'm home, I'm with them a hundred percent. Yeah, because otherwise I'm just on my right. Right, like there are certain times when you have to do it when you are yes. flying for something. Sure, but Definitely. there are times when you need to kind of say, okay, mm-hmm. this is a boundary, and that's how I I have to I have to navigate it. Yeah. Well, I think women wear so many hats in their daily lives, and and we're just socialized to sort of put everyone's needs above your own. Right. right? So it's interesting when you're working as an artist because it's such a process of it's what you need to do, and you're in this moment and you're creating. So do you do you have a hard time sort of rectifying that with being a woman, or do you think it informs your work in a better way? I think it's I think it's given me much better mm-hmm. because I have this regimented time, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh, yes, it is like if I feel like going and like rolling in paint right now mm-hmm. it could be a feeling but it needs to be curbed yeah. right so <laughs> so i think but it's given a better structure because i go there i know i have limited time mm-hmm. i need to get as much done so sure. it makes you more productive it does make Discipline. you more productive and i uh, my the problem with me or the i don't know if it's a good thing bad thing but i do a lot of repetitive action so it doesn't mm. end at just one it has multiple so mm-hmm. i go into this whole zone of which almost becomes like a production mode. Mm. So I also learned to hire other artists to do some of it. Like some of it, I want my hand in it, but some mm-hmm. things it's not necessary. Right. So I was building these orbs out of this pulp that I was making. So I was controlling. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was making the pulp, but I had like a streamline of seven people who were helping me because, and it had to do with logistics at the same time, sure. because if I did that and then put it on, it would just become like a rock solid mess. Mm-hmm. So I had like so many people working because I was like, okay, we have to get this done. And the more hands that I have, the better it is. Yeah. So, so looking at your work collectively, where do you see your work going? The trajectory of it? Oh, looking uh, back on what you've done and where do you want to go with it? I uh, That's a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. I think we all want to go somewhere yeah <laughs> to to yeah sometimes I question it am I I'm like is it worth it where am I going I've often yeah. questioned that because it's uh, it's interesting because there are a lot of grants you apply for mm-hmm. and right now the foundations are focused on a certain mm-hmm. uh, it's like very black and white right now so where do you fit in as a mm-hmm. brown artist right mm-hmm. like you have to kind of constantly question that also mm-hmm. and I think that is also going to come up to be a problem at some point because it's becoming so so rigid in some mm. ways, these structures, that they are going to start ignore. It's going to create a problem 20 years down the line or 10 years down the line. So I think that's something that everybody needs to be cognizant when they are voicing opinions. And uh, and I think I, I have no idea where my work is going to go. But it's definitely going in the political realm. And um, I just let it go. Like the story comes to me and I just go all out with it. So and uh, and yeah, I think the one thing which is really hard in Pittsburgh is to get national recognition. Yeah. You have to go out yeah. mm-hmm. to try and get it. And I, if you are in the middle, then you are like people want to identify. And my work does not identify as that of an Indian artist. Mm-hmm. So I don't fit in that category. Mm-hmm. And But I'm really informed out of that, right? Like no matter what my experiences are in the work. But it's kind of, so it's like this battle of how do you, you're not white, mm-hmm. but you don't fit there. So where do you belong? So it's it's an interesting mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of like uh, space that I've been navigating. 
Definitely. I mean, you don't even really think about how identity politics influences art, but also art funding. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big issue that so many artists face, especially young artists, up and coming artists, or people that are new to this industry where it isn't an industry. You have to learn how to navigate these spaces. You have to learn how to write a grant. You have to learn how to get money to do your work. And it's just funny when you, when you think about what's informing foundations and how they're feeling a part of the process and who they're bringing into the fold, but then who they're subsequently leaving right. out. So how do you, how do, how do, if you had to give advice to the foundations <laughs> or the people that fund projects, I don't think I should be. <laughs> <laughs> what would, what do you hope to see change within the structure yeah, of how money is allocated for art? So like, I, I personally think that if you think there is potential in a person, mm-hmm. even if the grant is not going, to them there has to be like a like I think we owe it to Mm. say that because a lot of people get dejected very early on because they try it yes and they're really good and then they don't want to do anything with it because how long do I keep at it do I keep applying and applying applying or am I just not right gonna is this not gonna happen is this never going to happen right sort of eternal like everybody wants that MacArthur phone call (laughs) Right, right, right. <laughs> the you Pulitzer got... Committee is calling me any day now, I'm sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Definitely. So it, it is kind of an interesting, uh, like everybody, and it's limited, mm-hmm. and everybody's fighting for the same thing, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of, I don't know. I, I really, like, and having been on jury panels, I know how it's done. Mm. Sometimes it's really, sub, like, it becomes really objective and not subjective, or mm-hmm. the other way around, where you are just deciding you start off with this romanticized notion of how you want to give mm-hmm. it. The project is interesting. And then when it comes down to dispersing the dollars, you just change. Hmm. Uh, and the project that everybody was in is also thrown out. So, but I think that needs to be told to the artist because when you don't get that and invariably people tell you that, oh, we are very open to giving you feedback. That never happens. Mm-hmm. Or you get so some valuable. generic feedback and that right. feedback is never going to help you. So it's kind of, I think, uh, and the whole other thing that I'm tackling, and I think I have a little bit of a right to talk on it, is the cultural appropriation, which is becoming so big right now. And everybody is, which I think is going to also be problematic because it is okay to embrace other cultures. And uh, I, so a friend of mine asked me, do you have a problem with people wear a bindi and a, I'm like, no. So so we had this discussion back and forth and she said, I have a problem with it because they don't understand the significance. I said, when my daughter wears it, she doesn't understand the significance. I'm like, maybe I wear it and I don't understand mm. the significance really, right? So how, like, why is it, I said, it's great that people are embracing these other, as long as you're not disrespecting it, mm-hmm. it's right. fine, right? Like if, yeah. we, if we stop that, then we are again going to create, we are exactly going back to what, we were Mm -hmm. many years ago and the world is not going to be flat anymore. It's going Mm -hmm. to become like these pockets where nobody will want to interact with the other person because there is no, Mm -hmm. no infiltration from cultures that's happening. And I think that's problematic. That would make such a great art piece. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, Sarika, it was just so it was just so amazing getting to hear your perspective on what's going on, not only on the local art scene, but just what you're doing in particular. Are you gonna be having any showings or anything? Is there any way people can get in contact with you? Yes. I have a show coming which opens on the twentieth. Mm-hmm. It's part of, of the AP. No. Of, <laughs> of September, right? Of September, okay. Wednesday. Okay. And um, and then I have another one that opens 
up on the 22nd, which is the May You Live in Interesting Times. And for that, I'm just kind of doing these sketchpad of ideas. So I found like a lot of quotes online, which I found problematic. Mm. Or I found that they could be read either way. They don't... Give us an example. What's an example of a quote that could be read either way? Ooh, good question. Yeah. So one of them is like a quote from Donald Trump, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which is sad to see the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart with the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. And this is by the president mm -hmm. in 2017. And I think it could swing either way. I agree. I think you could look at something if you just take that statement and really take it out of its context. Yeah, so if you just, do nothing about if you who knew he nothing was about it, what, it, what could he be talking about? Right. Yeah. What, you know, and, and, and I think that's what's so interesting about politics as we were talking about earlier, Kim, is everything is about perspective yeah. and everything is about getting what you're trying to have said, read in the context of how you want it seen. Mm -hmm. But when you take it out of that and you look at just the words, then it's totally, it's yeah. fair game. Right. Right. So I think that's really interesting that you're approaching it that way. And then sure. there, there was another one, which is they are all innocent until proven guilty, but not me. I'm a liar until I'm proven honest. And I thought this was great. Wow. It was by Louise O'Neill. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a great quote. It's like one of the quotes for my sexual assault project. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's great because it's it's true. Yeah. But which side are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's double. Speak. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, those both sound really interesting, both your exhibitions. And I'm, I'm excited to see where your career takes you. Thank you. <laughs> and we can't wait to come and check out the amazing work that you've been doing here in the community and beyond. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.